everyone, I'm Hannah Lloyd. And I'm Charlotte Gilfillan. Welcome to our podcast, Women in Wellies. Each episode, we will be inviting a guest to share their stories, experiences and lessons of working and living in rural Scotland. We want to get to know the real women behind the wellies and share them with you, our listeners. Hello and welcome to episode 18 of the Women and Wellies podcast. Some of you have already guessed who this episode's guest is, but I suspect most of you won't know her incredible background and story. So a very warm welcome to the podcast, Gail Wilkinson. Why don't you kick us off by introducing yourself and telling our listeners more about who you are and what you do. Good morning. I'm Gail, the beekeeper at Ken Bees. I'm based just outside Dunfermline in Fife. And um, I've been beekeeping now for five years. It started off as a hobby um, when I had a hospitality marketing business and it has now completely taken off over my life. Um, and it's become a passion. And um, it's actually not just taking over my life, it's taking over my house, it's taking over my garden, it's taking over my garage. <laughs> so it's uh, it's grown a lot of arms and legs and it's taken me into crazy uh, business avenues that I just never thought existed. So at the moment, I've just come to the end of the beekeeping season for this year. And as someone that uh, finds it really hard to sit still for two minutes, I'm already got schemes on the go and thinking about what I'm going to do next year. And I've got this sort of time in the winter to uh, plan everything and make changes and make things happen for them. So it's never a quiet time, but it is a bit of a calmer time from me just now. And uh, Kin Bees uh, produces award-winning honey, is that right? Uh, we do, yes. Um, we're really fortunate to have our hives in just such a lovely location. And um, we're also really lucky that all of the farms round about us are pesticide-free. Um, and there's a really rich range of forage around here. And it just makes the most beautiful honey. Gail, I think it's quite clear already how passionate you are about beekeeping and honey, but you had a pretty unconventional route into this, didn't you? Um, I think if you looked at my CV, you'd probably think I was bonkers. And <laughs> I started off uh, in the world of live music, working for a concert promoter, um, alongside some of the, the biggest bands in the world, doing stadium shows. And then... Um, ended up in TV, I worked at Scottish Television, and then somehow I ended up working in IT for a little while, being an IT manager and doing projects, and then went off to live uh, in Spain, ended up in the Middle East, opened up an export-import company there, mostly because someone told me that I couldn't do it, so that's kind of my angle here. Someone said, oh, you're, you're a white woman in the Middle East, you can't do that, so of course I had to do it. And I did it and then went off to South America and then came back to the UK um, about 14 years ago and found myself having on paper, having actually a career gap. Um, nobody wanted to employ me. And I think they looked at my CV and thought, what on earth is this? You know, this woman's crazy. So I took myself back to university and did, because uh, I've always been in marketing and I've always loved that side of stuff, sort of sales, marketing, branding went back, did a degree, and then decided that actually I didn't want to work for anyone else, I just wanted to work for myself, and set up a marketing and PR company uh, specialising in hospitality. 
So a lot of people were private homes, rentals, hotels, stuff like that. And it took off. And it was through that I was actually doing some research on the golfing industry in Fife for a private house and ended up at the house. And I said, oh, you've got honey. I said, I love honey. And they're like, oh, I've got hive. Do you want to see them? And I was like, yeah, okay. And then the next thing I knew, I was on this hillside in a bee suit and they opened up the hive. And when I just, when I peered inside, just, it was like something just clicked. It just washed over me. And I just looked inside and I was absolutely mesmerized. I I didn't want him to shut the hive up. I, want, I just wanted to know more. So I came home, started Googling, ordered loads of books off of Amazon and just started reading, reading. And I thought, this is for me. I'm going to get myself a wee beehive. Um, so I got my first beehive and the first year um, I just had the one and I was really uh, lucky enough to get a spot on the farm that's just on the edge of my village and uh, Colin the farmer at Orchid Farms he said oh how many hives do you think you would you, you'd maybe want and I said oh maybe two um, I can't imagine I'd ever have more than four I have to say this because this is what Gary said to me when when he first got me. He said, oh, I'll just have one or two hives. And then this summer we suddenly got nine and I'm like, they're in the garden. I'm like, what's happening here? Like, nobody ever just has one or two hives. (laughs) On that site, I have 20. uh, And Colin just walks around the corner and he just laughs and he he just just goes, he just holds up four fingers and points and goes, four, you know, and he just laughs and walks away because he gets stung all the time, so... Uh, he puts up with all the non, all the bee nonsense. Um, so yeah, it it just went from there. So it was one, then it was two, then it was four, then it was ten, and now we're uh, heading to fifty. So it has sort of taken over, and as it took over, and I just realised that that is really what I want to do, and I just love it, and I love being outside. I love quite happy working away on my own and fiddling about in fields, and um. I started to downsize the marketing projects that I had in my hospitality business right down to that I only have one client now. Um, and as as each project came to an end, um, I just didn't take on any more. So I've got one long-term uh, hotel that I work with that's super local, but other than that, it's just the bees. And I love it. And Gil, your decision to work for yourself and not work for anybody else ever again, what had prompted that? I don't know if it was just a, a, an age thing and a slight intolerance thing. I think as you get older, you just can't be bothered with other people's crap. You know, you just, I just can't be bothered with it. And and even going for interviews, I'd, I'd sit there listening to people just talking absolute, what I thought was just nonsense. You know, it was nothing. People... Especially in interviews, they ask you so many stupid questions and it's not relevant to the job. And I'm just like, you know, I don't even want to work for you. I, I can't do this. I don't want to. Also, working for yourself, it gives you flexibility. And I think especially, like, obviously I'm in my 50s now and kids up doing their own thing. So you have you have this new freedom when you're not being, like, mum all the time, when your kids have got their own. So why would I want to then give that freedom away to someone else and have to work set hours in set locations. I just thought, you know, I just, I want that flexibility to do whatever I want when I want um, and, and have a true home life, uh, work life balance. And that was really important to me. Um, 
And I, I love working from that. I'm quite happy. Sometimes the boss is a nightmare, but... So take us back to when you returned to Fife. At the time, you were a single parent. You were struggling to get a job. I imagine that was pretty worrying time for you. It was because I generally thought I'd just come back and spawn into some fantastic high-paid job because look at my CV, it's brilliant. And then when I really looked at it, I thought, oh God, it just it's a bit, it's too eclectic. And even though I had so much experience, uh, and certainly in an organisational background, no matter what I've done, it's always been organisational. It's always been sort of project driven. And even what I do now with the bees is you've got to be organised, especially when I've got so many hives and so many sites and I just work myself. I've got to keep my um, head in the game and always plan ahead or I'm turning up half an hour away and I've not got the right stuff. So it's very, it's just like a project. And to me, that kind of methodology, you can apply it to any industry. I applied jobs that I thought I was actually overqualified for and didn't even get an interview, which, you know, was a bit of a wake up call. And I was like, why am I not even getting an interview? And I think part of that was when I came back, like you're saying, I was a single parent and my son was still quite young and I didn't want a really high-level management job. I just wanted an ordinary job so that I could have time at home and just, you know, a basic income. And then I realized I was sort of overqualified for that. So people didn't want to employ me in case I went somewhere else or I was after their job. And a couple of companies that didn't give me an interview, I just called them up and I said, why did I not get an interview? Um, I'm more than qualified. And they said, well, yeah, that's the problem. You're more than qualified. Um, like, well, what, what am I going to do? So I thought, right, back to education. So I went back to uni and did, my, did a marketing degree. So I had a sort of more up-to-date formal qualification. Um, and then I did, straight after uni, I did uh, some sort of freelance work for other businesses. And I think that's where it came to me that I didn't want to work for other companies. Um, and just for that freedom and working for myself. And a lot of people say, oh, working for yourself. But it's actually harder work working for yourself. You end up actually, in reality, working much longer hours when you work for yourself. But go, oh, you must be lucky. But when you're starting up a business, it isn't nine to five. You know, you're still there at 11 o'clock at night, bashing away at your keyboard, answering emails because you've been out uh, doing stuff all day. So it's, um, it's not easy but I find it much more rewarding and much more fulfilling that when I'm putting in that level of effort, the benefit comes straight back to me. It's not just going to someone else. Well, I mean, with the bees, it's it's not uh, it's not cheap setting up even as a hobby. It's an expensive hobby to be a beekeeper. You're <laughs> yeah. Certainly since lockdown, the price of everything. I mean, some a lot of the basics have trebled. Uh, in the last five years since I started beekeeping. So it's not a cheap hobby. And what I've found is in the last few years, I've really been reinvesting everything I make from the sale of the honey back into the business. So this is me just starting to get to the the, the sort of actually having a, some sort of profit now because um, everything's gone back in and that's what you tend to do. Um, unless you go down sort of like a bank loan route or something, which I didn't want to do. And the other problem with beekeeping um, specifically is that although it is known as bee farming once you get to a certain level there is it is not classed as farming so there is no funding anywhere for anything to do with beekeeping in the UK 
which seems absolutely bonkers when you consider the fundamental role bees play as pollinators, particularly in farming. I had a meeting um, with my local MSP and she couldn't believe that either. So she's like, oh no, she didn't really, I think she didn't believe me. And she was kind of like, no, no, well, I'll get my little assistant to do some research. And they came back with all this stuff, but there was actually nothing. I mean, I think if you're young, if you're really young, there's um, Prince's Trust, funding I think if you're under 25 something like that um but other than that there's absolutely nothing for bee farming um at all you're sort of on your own so you have to reinvest if you want to grow I mean it, it's a lot to put in um so it's taken time so here we are five years down and just I feel like as, as a person on my own I've not I'm almost reached how many hives I can manage on my own and when I say to people, I've got 40 odd, 50 hives, they go, oh my God, on your own. And this is people that have got 20. Um, but because it's full time, I'm not doing it like after work and at weekends. I do have all week. So yeah, that's, uh, that's why I went down that route. And how do you sell the honey? What's your customer base? Uh, local and generally across the UK. I sell, um, I've de- I decided to go solo on that as well and not be relying on shops um predominantly because they take 40 percent and i'm just like no <laughs> not doing that i'm not putting all this much work in and giving someone basically all the profit so um i've got a website i sell through the website i've got a mailing list over these years i've built up a really loyal local following for the honey um i think through my social media i've been really subtly trying to educate people on the benefits of honey and that's definitely working so when i put out my little mailing list to uh to everyone locally it just goes nuts and i say right the honey's ready you know when i've done a harvest honey's ready it's just bonkers so i mostly sell direct to the customer so people know exactly what they're getting it's when it says that it's, when I say it is raw, pure local honey, that's exactly what it is. I do sell in one uh, shop in town, which is it's called Abbott House, and it is a not-for-profit. It's a historical building, and they have a shop, and uh, all their profit goes to the upkeep of Dunfermline's oldest building. So I'm quite happy to support that. But other than that, I don't put the honey in. To shops at all i this is the first year i actually had so much honey that um because i've upped the number of hives that i've done a couple of markets farmers markets and that was just great because i take along my viewing hive with the bees in it if it's a nice day and i end up with a big queue down the street so the people that were in the stall next to me are like this is great <laughs> i like the sort of personal side of it where i'm able to talk to people that are interested in bees that uh, are interested in honey and I think that just creates repeat business, which is just brilliant. And quite a few of my customers have become friends now and I've been to them when I'm out and about and they want to know what's going on. With all, everybody wants to know what's going on with the Dunfermline bees. And it's just sort of uh, gone from there. So mostly doing it myself. And I prefer I prefer to do that than just, I know, I know a lot of beekeepers don't want to do that sort of public side of it. I totally get that. And they just want to do deal with their bees, put it in the jar and give it over to a shop. But I didn't want to do that. So I sell from my house and people just come and click and collect from a, 
a little shelf unit in the porch. It's quite basic, but people really like it because they can just sort of uh, rock up and pick up their honey and off they go. I think, uh, like, I think um, one of the most interesting things I found is that we keep bees, we harvested our honey, we taste it, and I'm like, this is delicious. This tastes so different to what is on the supermarket shelf. There's nothing better than your own honey. Your own honey is always the best. Obviously. And, but then getting that <laughs> but then getting that feedback from customers from like we just have sold ours basically through Facebook to friends and family. And um this year we haven't actually sold any because I haven't done any of the social media posts to say we've got honey available. But but the um but 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 that feedback from people saying this just tastes so different that then gets repeat business. Do you find that because that for me is what inspires me to be like, yeah, okay, let's keep keeping bees, let's keep harvesting this honey, even though I get stung in the head and like it really hurts and like you know. <laughs> um, I think that when someone says to me, oh, "I don't like honey," I always say that's because you've not tasted real honey. You've gone for supermarket honey, which is a completely different beast altogether. It's just it's not the same. I mean, honey is. I think after milk and olive oil is the third most faked food product globally. It's a massive billion dollar fakery business that goes on around the world. Things like Manuka. I mean, there's so many, I think there's five times more Manuka honey sold than there is produced in New Zealand. It's so easy to fake uh, because of the testing. The testing is really basic to prove that it's real honey so if you say this is manuka honey or um, I, I, I don't want to just say manuka honey because that's a shame for the real manuka honey producers but if you say all oh, this is uh clover honey all they do is test if it have if it is ever tested they're just looking for clover pollen micrograins of pollen you can just put some pollen in some syrup it will pass the test so the testing's really basic this is what a lot of uh, honey producers are trying to change is to up that the other problem with supermarket honey is if you're buying raw honey it's never going to be adulterated it's not going to be watered down with syrup and it's also not normally not heat treated if you're buying direct from a beekeeper or, or at, a, at a farmer's market one of the big benefits of honey is all the live natural enzymes that's in it and if you're buying off the supermarket shelf it's not going to have that and um, there's definitely been a thing over the decades where these the bigger companies have tried to do this sort of marketing thing where you need to have your honey runny and it's got it all clear and all the same. Actually, honey crystallization is a, a completely natural process. And they've tried to make it as if that's it, it's gone off. And that's just not true. You just sit it in a bowl of tap hot water, it'll go back to runny. Uh, so they heat treat it to keep it runny as long as possible on the shelf. The other thing is if you have any allergies, like if you've got hay fever in the spring, there's absolutely no point in you buying honey off a supermarket shelf. Because one, if you look on the label, it's going to have a blend of EU and non-EU, which means it could be from God knows anywhere on the planet. You don't know what it is. You don't know where it's from. And the way honey works when you've got, uh, just say, hay fever, is the little microgreens of pollen act like a kind of vaccine. So you're getting a little dose of it and that's going supposedly, I should say, going to uh, help the hay fever. And I have a lot of people that are champing at the bit in the spring going, is the honey ready? Is the honey ready? Because 
really want as local as possible because there's no point in you taking uh, honey that comes from China because it's not going to have the micropollens in it that you have on your doorstep. So I always say, you know, buy as local as you can. And if you don't think you've got a beekeeper, get on Google because you'll be surprised to find that you've probably got loads and because we're everywhere. We're up and we're up, you know, everywhere as a beekeeper, I would recommend in six miles, you know. So go local if you want for allergies. I think it's, it's yeah, it's amazing. I notice when I eat our honey over the spring, my hay fever is definitely a million times better. I like it for because honey's a humectant. It's it's it attracts water. It's very it's, the the honey has to be like under eighteen and a half percent water to be honey, because anything above that, um, it can ferment, which is why honey never goes off. It just crystallizes because nothing can grow in honey, which is I suppose why now they're using it for medicinal purposes. You know, for wound healing, um, because bacteria can't get through. Um, it's an amazing substance. Um, I've got like my mum and a lot of our friends on it because they, when you take it daily, it, it does seem to help your skin, the the, the um, moisture retention in your skin. Um, and I think definitely as you get older, you do get drier skin when you hit the menopause and stuff. So um, it's I, th- I found it great for that. Plus it just tastes great in your porridge and on anything, I think. With a bit of cheese and an oat cake, that's my favourite. This year I wanted to try and do... Um, some comb honey but with such a poor summer and I had loads of people desperate for it because in the spring I was like I'm going to do comb honey and I was like yeah and I had a big waiting list and then ended up with none just because it was such a terrible summer I had a great spring you know anyone that's in farming will know that it was just awful but for the bees it was terrible because we had an okay June then was such a bad wet July that the bees ate everything that they'd collected in June so when we got towards the end of July there was nothing and I was like oh my god this could be a complete dud harvest and we got three weeks of decent weather so even for myself I only ended up with about 30% of the harvest I was hoping for only had those three weeks yeah ours was low for the spring Gail do you still find it you know you said at the beginning you find it you found it the first time you opened a hive absolutely mesmerizing do you still find it mesmerizing when you open a hive and pull out a frame of bees every time I open a hive my heart has does a little dance every single hive and still and even if I'm there all day and I'm doing 20 30 hives in a day every hive because the thing with bees is when you open up the hive you genuinely never really know what's what's in what's going to happen uh sometimes you can open up a hive and they're just lovely and everything's perfect and you go that was great and then other times you can open up the hive and they come at you like a clout of miniature devils and uh you end up going, oh, look at that, and closing the lid quickly and running away. So sometimes it can be really crabby. So you just never know what, what you're going to put. Sometimes you think, oh, that, this is going to be a breeze, and it ends up that uh, there's no queen, and you know there's a drama, or they're just about to swarm. You just don't know what's in there. And I, I love that. But you're allergic to bee stings, aren't you? I am, yes. How do you how do you manage that? Um, I No matter how hot it is, I wear very thick jogging bottoms and a thick sweatshirt under my bee suit. I've got a really good quality bee suit. I double glove and I am super careful about making sure all my zips are closed and I'm tucked into my wellies. Um, and, and that is mostly because I've learned the hard way. Um, and I have been, had a couple of brilliant stings. In fact, uh, I think the best one was, it was actually during lockdown. 
And one of the good things about bees is uh, they are, even though it's not farming, they are classed as livestock. It's a bit upside down. So during lockdown, I was able to wander off and still do all the bees. So I was at the bees and someone had phoned, I was just leaving, someone had phoned and I'd unzipped the hood, answered the phone and I was, I bent down to pick something up off the ground that I dropped and a bee just flew up off the grass and got me right in the throat. And I was like, oh, this isn't good because I do really swell up. I'm not anaphylactic. I didn't think I was anaphylactic, but I did feel quite ill and really swell up for like three or four days. Um, so I thought, oh, that's not good because it's on my throat. And I had the car with me. I thought, well, I'll jump in and I'm only like half a mile into the village. And we have in our village a uh, uh, post office and chemist combined. So I had jumped in the car and as I'm in the car, I think everything's starting to spin and I'm thinking, oh, this isn't good. So I drove down and luckily there's no cars on the road. It's locked down. So I drive down in the village and by the time I get down to the, the uh, chemist, everything is starting to spin. So I just stopped the car in the middle of the road, got out, left the keys and it ran in. And there's a queue of people all standing in their masks at the door and I just brushed past them all run in, run up to the counter and I was like, I've been stung on the throat by a bee, I think I'm anaphylactic and the guy and the guy looked at me and then I projectile vomited right down his front and it gets worse. So I, I then, he, he's staring at me, I'm staring at him, I fainted on the floor in front of everyone, peed myself and was just lying there retching on the floor and, and I was like, what did I was They're like, we're not phoning an ambulance. We can't find an ambulance. You don't want to go in the hospital right now. Everybody's got COVID. So they actually grabbed me by the ankles and pulled me into the little the little room when for consultations. And I lay there for about 15 minutes thinking, oh my God, I'm gonna die. And and then um my son came to get me because he came around the corner. I was like, why is your car running? And so I went home, went to sleep for two hours and woke up and I was fine. And then I had to go around with jars of honey and apologize. The all time that all this is going on, are you still in your suit? Yeah, I'm still in a bee suit. Well, my belly's on, no mask, no mask on. I wasn't expecting a mask. And then for the next year after that, every time I went into the post office, the guy used to hide through the back. And no, as if nobody wanted to say, I'm like, oh, please tell me she's just sent it by stamps. You know, she's <laughs> well, now what, what I do, what I do do now is since then. Um, I take a daily antihistamine before I go to the bees, just so that I've got something in my system, and that makes a massive difference. I've found that when I do get a sting, um, they're not that bad. I still get a bit of swelling, and I can still feel a bit crap for a couple of hours, but it's not as bad. And I, I find that over the season, um, at the start of the season, if I get a sting, it, it, it's a sore one, but by now, if I get something, it's hardly anything. And then I, I think, I think um, that's... Where I'm lucky is some beekeepers, it gets worse and it does go to anaphylactic level and that would just really require a rethink. So when that happened before, I was panicking a bit, thinking, what way is this going? I didn't tell my husband because he'd have been, right, that's it. As I'm not telling anyone, told everyone now. But um, <laughs> I didn't tell, I'd really kept that one quiet because I thought, I'm not, you know, everybody's going to go, you are absolutely bonkers. So I kept it quiet, but I, I found that over the last few years, the reactions got less and less. Um, as opposed to more and more. So I'm quite lucky that way. And um, because I was panicking a bit that it would need to rethink. And then I was like, I'd be devastated if um, you know, there's just no way you can be keeping anymore.
Gail, it's quite um, interesting hearing you say there that you wear like really thick joggers, thick jumper under your bee suit because it's physically quite demanding. You know, a hive can be pretty heavy. How do you find that kind of like physical element to beekeeping? Because I think people just think, oh, look, the bees are, they're quite wee, they're quite cute, but like, you know, a, a hive full of honey is heavy, yeah. Yeah, a beekeeeper's back is a real thing. I think you just get your own little system. I, I kind of have a, a spare sort of single hive stand that when I'm lifting boxes or manipulating hives, I sit it there. So rather than put things down on the ground, so I'm not having to lift everything right up and down. Um, although when it is honey harvest, sometimes I do need to get someone in to help me because if you've got, you know, these can weigh like, um, you know, 20 kilos, some of these boxes. And if it's sometimes they're piled up higher than I am, and, they're, and they've got bees in them, so trying to get up there um, is a laugh because I think I never thought I'd be beekeeping on a ladder, you know, beekeeping on, I've got steps because I'm only five foot two. So. Um, but yeah, it is heavy and um, I just think it, it's a bit of a workout because I hate the gym. So, it, you know, but, you know, it's a way of just sort of keeping fit. I'm always, what I try and do though is on all my beekeeping sites, I try and have vehicle access really quite close so I'm not having to cart stuff too far but I find that uh, if I do have to move stuff and I can't get the car in a wheelbarrow works so um, I just use a wheelbarrow and try and move stuff around but yeah it's heavy um, but I don't mind it but it, in the summer it can be really hot yeah I know <laughs> I have a bee suit I feel like as soon as you put it on it's hot you're like nope too much yeah, and of course the thing with these is you always have them in a nice sunny spot. So even though um, everybody else is sunbathing, you're in a sort of sweatsuit sometimes. Like, and when you take your wellies off, everything's like soaking. But um, I don't mind it. I just, just I sometimes sort of forget. I find beekeeping really mindful. That's one of the things I love about it. When I'm in the apiary on my own, I'm not talking. Um, I don't have any like music or earphones in or anything like that because I actually listen to the bees and I think you can tell a lot with the minute you lift the lid off the hive, the initial noise that you get from the bees, you can tell their, their kind of temperament on that day. And I love the buzz of the bees, especially on when there's a flow on and there's loads of bees in the air. They just create this really contented hum. And I, it's something that at the moment, and this winter I'm looking into more because I know there's some studies ongoing uh, at the moment about the frequency of the bee buzz and the physical um, impact that it has on the brain and how it can calm the brain. And I'm really fascinated by that because it definitely does for me. And when I'm in the eight period, I can go there in a foul mood, like I've had a parking ticket or something, you know, I get out there within half an hour, everything is right with the world. Because I think as well, when you're beekeeping, you can't think about anything else. You've got to concentrate. Once you open up the hive, 100% of your brain focus is on, because you just, you don't want to be in there too long. You want to open it up, do what you've got to do, and then close it down for the bees' sake. So you're not thinking about anything else. And uh, I now never, since the uh, answering the phone incident, I never take my phone in. I never answer the phone. And um, I leave it sitting on the other side of the yard on silent. Um, and I just find it really mindful. So you're not thinking about anything else, you're not worried about anything else. And there's something about working with the bees that just is really calming. And 
Uh, sometimes I could just sit down when I'm finished. I'll just sit down and just watch. And there's just nothing nicer than just watching the bees come and go. And I, when I put things on my social media and comments along those lines, a lot of people say, oh, they just love sitting in their garden. And when they see bees on a certain plant in the garden, they could just sit, you can waste hours, you know, away hours just watching them coming and going. And that is one of the other interesting things about finding about beekeeping is you don't even have to open the hive to really see what's going on. A lot of beekeeping is just listening and looking and you can look at the door, see what's going on at the entrance with the bees coming and going. You can tell a lot about what's going on inside without even opening it. And things about bees that I love, I love when I'm in the apiary and all of a sudden there's a really loud buzz and you go, oh, what's that? And suddenly there's bees everywhere and then you realize it's because it's about to rain. I can see the shower of rain coming up the Ford Valley and all the bees know, they feel, they can sense the change in the air pressure and they all come back to the hive for safety. And just little things like that, just when that happens, my day is made. I'm skipping, I just love seeing that. I want to shout and tell people, did you see that? But it's, it's just me that's there and, um, and I just love those moments. Do you know, one of the most spectacular things I think, and you never want this to happen as a beekeeper because your aim is to keep bees, but as a swarm. If you see that in the sky, like fills, we had a swarm swarm trap at my mum and dad's in, in Edinburgh and my dad was messaging us and he's saying, you know, oh, I think there's some activity, you know, there'll be one or two bees just checking it out, checking it out. And then we were like, no, dad, you'll really know when the swarm arrives. And then we got this video and the sky's like full of bees and dad was like, it's an amazing spectacle. And it really is. But I think that, you know, the noise of that, we've had a couple, unfortunately, of our hives where we've beekeeping has become bee swarming and you're like, not ideal. But watching them swarm was ju is just incredible as the sky's just like filled and you're like, yeah, this is, and the noise is incredible. I loved it. I had, I had that this year. I heard the noise behind me and I knew what it was. I was working that hive and I heard it. I went, oh, and hadn't got to that hive yet. And I went, that's not good. And I turned around and they were taking the sky. And I just stood, I kind of stood there in a sort of Jesus pose. Just, it was just amazing watching And luckily they just went into the oak tree on the edge of the yard and I was able to get them back. But I have had them before that have swarmed and I've watched them and I've just watched them disappear over the, the barn roof and they've gone. Um, and But I do, uh, this year I did collect a lot of swarms. Um, I had so many calls, it was crazy. And uh, in one of the, the, the sort of formal gardens for one of the, the mansion house near here, I was collecting a swarm of bees and another one arrived. Not my bees, luckily, because they came from another direction. And then I thought, right, I've got another box in the car. So I went and got that. And as I'm waiting for the stragglers to get in, another one arrived. We couldn't believe it. I was like, this is... So I ended up getting five or six in one day. It was bonkers. I couldn't get any work done for a phone going. It was crazy. This year, it's nuts. So, you know, as they say, one beekeeper's loss is another one's gain. I was going to say, have you collected any hives from really cool, like really obscure locations? or uh, The King's Gate Shopping Centre in Dunfermline. <laughs> Inside or outside? Outside. Um, the Seven Kings Pub in Dunfermline, they were on the back wall after they'd gone through the City Hotel Beer Garden. Um, so, yeah. Um, oh, a castle. I did a castle this year. So I got there and they were, yeah, that was really cool. And um, they, they had gone into, luckily it had a big turret and it, I mean, it, it was really high up beautiful view up there but luckily they, they were accessible from on a flat roof turret with a door because I was like 
I could see them. I was like, I'm not going up there. Just no way I'm going up a ladder. It was like huge, big, tall. And and then those bees, which is great, those bees, are, um, the people that own the castle asked me to just put them in a hive and keep the hive there and manage it for them. So they're still at the castle. They're now known as the castle bees. Um, and I just manage them. So that that's another thing that uh, part of my business that's really grown this year is installing and managing hives for companies and other people. And that's been great. That's fab. And do you do any like collaborations with other food producers or that kind of thing to kind of get honey in other products to kind of broaden your market? Um, I don't know if you know Chloe from Chocolatia. I have heard of Chocolatia, but I don't know Chloe. <laughs> She's great. And I mean, she wiped the floor at this year's Great Taste Award. She did amazingly well. I think she got some like seven, three stars. I mean, off the hook. Amazing. So she used Ken Honey. She does a little Christmas batch of um, proper chocolate covered honeycomb made with real honey. And she used, she does a little special batch for Christmas and she used Kenny Honey last year and she's going to be using it again this year. So she's the only person and we were talking about maybe putting honey inside a chocolate or something. But because of her amazing um, achievements this year, she's very, very busy. Uh, I think immediately after the results came out, she had people like Harrods and Fortnum and Masons and stuff on. So she's she's just got all these plans on going and is super busy. But we're going to be doing uh, the honeycomb for Christmas. Um, I know I'm probably not the only one who sat there either listening or probably even recording because Charlotte's probably the same as me. But do, can, do you just buy direct from Chloe if we want to try that honeycomb? <laughs> I on her website. Just She's got the most adorable... Um, Halloween um, chocolates at the moment. They look like little ghosties and eyeballs and they're really cute. Um, her stuff's amazing. She's really clever. Um, and uh, just young. I think Chloe's still in her 20s. She's just, her business has gone from strength to strength. She's doing she's doing great. Um, it's lovely to work with her. So I'll be off on amazing. her website. <laughs> <laughs> I've already got my pre-order in. She's not even made it. <laughs> And you're gonna to have to like put it away or somewhere so yeah, that you can I do. I hide it. I hide stuff like that, or everybody in this house eats it, so I have to I have to hide it behind books. <laughs> I'll hide it in the ironing cupboard. No one somehow ever looks there. <laughs> and speaking of businesses going from strength to strength, what's next for you? Um, I have mostly on the man hide management side for me. Um. So that I've got quite a few things bubbling. I've actually got meetings next week um, and I'm quite superstitious, so I don't want to say exactly who they're with. So I don't want to jinx them, but hopefully um, both those projects will come off. And also I did a talk, a beekeeping talk as part of the Families Out With Festival. And um, someone approached me about doing, uh, they, they're a wildlife uh, cinematographer uh, and they were really interested in doing something a documentary next year so we might do something about the whole mindfulness in the apiary um, so we're just we're going to chat about that over the winter and and do some planning for next summer so I'm really excited about that and um, that could be really good but at the moment I'm really hoping these other um, sort of business collaborations um, come off because I really enjoy that I really um I work quite closely with a company called GAC UK. They're a big shipping com global shipping company. Um, it's funny how things go round because I used to use their company when I lived in Oman 
um, and I had the furniture business and I used to use them for all international shipping. And now they sponsor my beehives at the Wildflower Meadow at the Hague. So I've ended up working with them again. Um, and it's, uh, I've just found it interesting how they, are, they use the bees to, in their internal company uh, communications um, and training, because it's all about hive mentality and working together and they use all this sort of parallels of the hive in their communications. Um, so it's been great working with them and they've been a huge support, JC. They've got a base at uh, Grangemouth um, at the terminal there. So those, those, sort of, those sort of business sides and working with other businesses and, and hive sponsorship has, has just been brilliant because you just meet so many people from different backgrounds and different places. Um, I really enjoy that uh, and, and having that sort of common interest in our sort of rural environment and and bees because um, I've met people that are scared of bees but I've never met anyone that hates bees so yeah I think it's interesting that you said at the beginning that you went out on your own because you know for lots of reasons but one being that you don't like other people can't be dealing with other people's crap but actually that through your business you collaborate with a lot of you're collaborating with a lot of people across all different walks of life but it's kind of on your terms but Absolutely, it's all on my terms, and I can say no, you know. I, and I do say no. I have had people come want me to want to do stuff. Uh, I'm thinking about doing this with these, and I'm going, mm, I'm not sure I, I want to do that. And it's it's brilliant being able to have the freedom to say, no, I'm not going to do that project, um, or I'm not going to go there. I'm not going to do that. Um, but to be honest, I rarely say no. I'm a really yes person. <laughs> Welcome to the crew. <laughs> come up with wacky ideas I go yeah that's brilliant let's do that um so yeah I really I, I do put thought into I really say no but when I say no you know it's not a con it is no that I won't change my mind that's it and I love um having the freedom to do that like you say working for yourselves gives you that freedom to choose and I know that when a lot when you start up a business because this isn't obviously the first business that I've started up at the beginning um when you're building your business, you do end up saying yes to everything and you can get yourself down avenues you don't want to go down. And I think that just comes with experience that to sit back, don't don't always say yes straight away, but think, do I, where is this going to take me? Is it worth the effort? You know, is to think about that when you're setting up a business. And sometimes a little bit less can be more so you can concentrate on the bits that you do love. And I have found that with the bees and that if I genuinely took on every project that came away I'd have no time to actually beekeep and that is the bit that I love I mean one of the things I did I started um in lockdown making candles with my beeswax and I really enjoyed that and it started to get bigger and bigger and then I was like wait a minute I'm not actually a candle company I don't want to just be at home all the time because I'm getting all these orders in so I, I just shut that side down I still make a few um but it's not what my business is and it's just having the confidence and the sort of single-mindedness and what you're looking to achieve in your small business not spread yourself too thin especially if you're just one person yeah what do you do with your wax uh, I make soap with it I make melts with it and I do candles with it mostly it sort of ticks along through the summer when I'm busy but now I'm beefing it up obviously for Christmas and doing gift boxes and stuff so I make things like I'm looking around at what's all there like hand palm I do dog paw balm um and um, I try and use it use up uh the beeswax that I have 
um, I rendered it. I quite like, uh, that's one of my little things. I quite enjoy cleaning beeswax. A lot of people moan about it, but just I'm really satisfied. I start off with this big sort of basin full of gunk. And then at the end of it, you've got this beautiful, amazing smelling yellow, bright yellow wax. I'm going to come in with a technical question. that Gary asked me to ask you, how often do you replace your queens? Because I know that some commercial beekeepers keep them just for a year and then they change them out. Others, like probably more hobby beekeepers like us, kind of keep them until they stop laying or they swarm and they leave. Or So what's your kind of process or do you just kind of go hive by hive? I don't replace uh, based on age. I am um, absolutely awful at killing. I can't, I can't do it. I can't kill a queen. And because... Um, I started off naming them. <laughs> I don't name them all now. I still have them with names, especially Arkit, my, my sort of main apiary. And to start with, they were all named after dream dinner guests. So there was Carrie Bradshaw, Michelle Obama, Marilyn Monroe, um, Amy Winehouse. I love this. Amy Winehouse. <laughs> I'm so here for this. So, um, Carrie Bradshaw was my first, even though my husband said that's not a real person. I was like, she's real to me. And if they swarm or if they die, that's, you know, that's nature. But when I have had a really nasty queen, so basically the, the temperament of the hive comes from the queen. And for some reason, they can sometimes be really aggressive. And I just, I can't have that, especially at my main eight. Well, I don't want it for myself, obviously, because then you're much more likely to get stung. But at the farm you know there's there's people working there and there's people with horses that come in there's kids so i really can't have it um and i have to re-queen um so what i normally do is i just take the queen out and i set her free in the grass and i'm really sorry and then i feel bad for days and i think well that's the circle of life because you know something a bird will eat that or something but i can't i think the commercial way is just to snip it between your fingers and there's just this that's just never going to happen well you know until you can do that you're not a proper beekeeper and in that case, i'm just never going to be a proper beekeeper uh john my mentor who i got my very first bees bees from um when he he helped me and saw my very first hive, and i was so excited and i said oh my god i'm a beekeeper and he said uh girl no he said give it 20 to 25 years you might be a beekeeper i was like oh, way to go john <laughs> thanks for that <laughs> straight back down to earth <laughs> yeah and do you breed your own queens do you breed your own queens yeah i do i occasionally buy them in if i'm in a panic and something happens and i need to i need to get them uh quickly and i need a bit of next next day delivery my post day loves me the postie's reaction to an envelope that says this contains live bees. And it... <laughs> so yeah, I do buy them in sometimes, um, but I tend to just uh, do splits and make my own, not in a sort of 10 at a time, just individually. Um, but if I'm doing uh, colonies for someone else that that's looking to buy bees, and I will occasionally buy them in. I, I think that that will forever be one of my favourites when one of the first times when we'd moved here and the postman came to the door with an envelope that's buzzing that says on it, warning, this contains live bees. And he's like, you answer the door and he's like, is that really what I think it is? And I'm like, yeah, it's not a prank. Like, this really is. You can just post them like Royal Mail, first class, through the gum. I also have um, my original men mentor, John, that I mentioned. He does breed 
queens. So he's usually my first go-to and he just puts a he just puts them under the doormat for me and sends me there's a bee under the doormat, don't stand on it, you know. It's people people imagine a bee, but they are in a little cage. I should say that, you know, it's not a bee under the doormat. It's in a little plastic cage <laughs> with a bit of food. And I think in the States they post the whole they can they post a nook. Oh really? You know, in those Corex green Corex boxes, they send them yeah. out with the queen in a cage, and you can buy them in the post, like a whole oh, wow. of bees. I don't think they do that here. I don't. I've not, not heard of that here. No. Um, most places you collect, but I think mm-hmm. I think there are other places that you that will send the whole nook in the post because they're oh, wow. bees. Don't care what way up they are. You know, I mean, as long as they're not being shaken, they don't. You know, they can they can stand upside down. They don't. You know. Um, but yeah, the posty, the posties are like, and or other times when I'm in a hurry and I need to find them, and I'm driving around the village looking for the van. I'm like, there's some bees in that sack in the back of your van. I mean, I think probably fair to say that Hannah and I have both taken a huge amount from that. I feel like I know more about beekeeping than I ever thought was possible. Um, so that was brilliant. Thank you so much. But the question that we ask all our guests at the end of each episode is, what advice would you give to the next generation of rural women in Scotland? I think that um, I've always thought that, you know, there's always been this box. When I was in, in business, sort of back in the uh, 90s, I was always thinking, oh, think outside the box. You've got to think outside the box. And I always think, don't think outside the box. Think what you could do differently with the box, you know. And in our in, in Scotland, in, in our rural settings, we have so much heritage. Um, and I'm always a big believer in not reinvent. You don't need to reinvent the wheel. Just make it unique do do your thing and your own take on it and I think um if you can do that then you're already on to a winner because people really do adore our Scottish heritage especially in um our rural environment and there's a lot there that you can draw from there's always experience you can draw from but it's about doing something new that really floats your own boat and, and interests you and is going to uh fulfill you and I definitely think um younger generations are, are so much more confident I find younger women are so much more confident than that than myself and my peers ever were in our 20s and 30s um and that's a great thing and I, I do see younger women now so many of them striding out on their own not giving it a second thought and that's just so heartwarming to see I just think it's absolutely brilliant um as and even but now I see people my own age in my own situation you know kids leaving home and starting up businesses and really going for it and and that's great and I think um there's nothing wrong with working with other people and together and in companies but if you want to do something on your own I think it's just brilliant that people just can go and do it I do think, though, that one of the reasons the next generation of women have so many more opportunities now and feel so much more empowered now is because the previous generation have fought so hard to really kind of blaze a trail and continue to do so now. And you're a great example of that. I think a lot of the younger women now, um, I am their age of their mothers, so it's their mothers that have gone through business, working for other people, working for awful bosses. And I think younger women now have been brought up, being told, you know, you can, you can. Um, 
Whereas when I was at school, I remember saying, um, you know, so what do you want to be in careers and stuff? And I can't even remember exactly what I said. I think I said I wanted to, to work in medicine. And they said, mm, have you thought about being a secretary? That was, that was the career advice. What you really should do is a typing course. And I was like, well, I don't really want to work in an office. But I, the first job I ever had ended up working in our office, you know, because that's just what you did. Whereas now, I think, girls come out of school and it's like, what are you going to do? And they might not know exactly, but they're just going to go off and do whatever makes them happy as opposed to what they think they should be doing. And that's just amazing. And I've always said to our boys, um, you know, you can do every, anything. You can do absolutely anything. But just remember, you can't do everything. And when I, in the 90s, there was this big thing of, especially as a woman, there was this whole thing about the super woman and the power woman where she had this brilliant job and uh, five kids and this brilliant marriage and this beautiful house. And it was all complete bullshit. You know, I was, it's just, you, can't, you cannot do that. So you just have to choose the bits that you want. You can't, no one can do everything. You can't be a brilliant mother to five kids and be really hands-on and then work 90 hours a week. You know, it just it just doesn't gel. So um, choose what you want to do and go for it, I think. But you can, you can do anything. It is, you can do anything you want. And I just think that's absolutely brilliant that girls and young women actually genuinely believe that. People said it in the 80s and 90s, but... It wasn't real, whereas now it actually is real. So thanks so much, Gail, for joining us today and sharing your stories, experiences and lessons. Thanks so much for having me on. It's been a blast. If you want to connect with Gail and Kimbies on social media, you'll find all the details in the show notes. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, follow us on Instagram at Women and Wellies Podcast to stay up to date with all the latest news. And you can email us with any questions on womeninwelliespodcast at gmail.com and we'd love it if you could leave us a review and subscribe so you never miss an episode. Until next time.